You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, and Corey Jacobson. After the hunt, learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like Hank Shaw and Jamie Tagan. Whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it, Outdoor Class will take your skills up a notch. Use code EMPIRE20 at checkout to save 20% off. Visit OutdoorClass.com to learn more. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, where you're going to hear a valuable hunting-based conversation that's tailored for us Southern folk. If you love what we do and would like to support Southern Ground Hunting, you can visit patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting, or you can click on the link in the show notes below. We'd love for you to join the Southern Ground Hunting community today. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting. You can also support us by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps more than you know, and we greatly appreciate it. And now, let's get to the show. All right, everybody. This is uh, going to be a short podcast today. I'm just going to do a, a quick uh, kind of just I don't know, from the heart podcast. I don't know any other way to call it, any other thing to call it, other than a from the heart. Um, just a, a scenario-based podcast with just me kind of talking about something that happened this weekend. And, um, yeah, it's a it's a unfortunate story, but I went to Kentucky, me and Matt and our buddy Andrew, and then met up with a, a friend of mine who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago named Clay Harper. And uh, we went out to Kentucky, the same place that we hunted early season for the opener. And, man, had a really good time. Really good time in the camp. Uh, 
um, did actually, there were some dead deer that were at camp, which is really cool. And, you know, I mean, October hunting, it, it can be really tough. Uh, that's why we have such thing as the October lull, it, whether or not you believe in it or not. I don't know that I necessarily do, but uh, obviously there's there's the phrase, there's a terminology, so somebody believes in it. Uh, some, some people have seen proof of it. Um, I, I have not necessarily, um, we went out and with the, with the main intention of, we thought the, the biggest benefit would be to find hot feed trees, just what we talked about in the last couple podcasts, hot feed trees with good buck sign around them. And so we spent a lot of time doing that. And, uh, I'm not going to give away too much in this podcast because there's a lot that we need to break apart with, um, with Matt on the line and uh matt had some really good hunts and and, and i don't want to talk about them without him because i think i think you guys would benefit a lot from hearing from the stories that matt has to tell about this particular trip and so this is going to be probably like a, a two-parter type podcast but i wanted to share my story first before we get everybody on the line because it's really fresh and there's still things developing in it um so i spent most of my time trying to find these hot feed trees, uh, scouting and, and was being successful in finding them. I, I never, um, uh, one day I didn't see a deer one day of this trip. And it was because I wasn't, I was mostly going in blind based on some other Intel. Um, just kind of just one of those situations where I wasn't really going into places where, uh, I had a lot of confidence that I was going to find a deer. I was just kind of trying to go and find a spot and ended up just kind of setting up in a random spot um, that looked right as far as the transition lines and uh, funnels and habitat and all that good stuff. I ended up not seeing a deer that day. I bumped a big buck that Matt ended up seeing, which was a pretty cool, pretty cool uh, encounter for him. Probably a deer that he probably could have been able to kill um, had the, the situation been just a tad different. But that was what we were doing. And I found one area in particular that had a uh, honey locust tree with honey locust pods all over the ground. And that night, um, I, I don't know how many deer I saw. I could probably go back on the footage and count it. Um, but it was north of 20 deer that I saw. Um, one that was a confirmed buck. He just wasn't very big. I had him in shooting range. Just about every single one of these deer I had in bow range too, which was uh, which was pretty cool considering it was the first time I'd ever hunted that spot. I found poop on the ground. I found um, some busted acorn holes that they were uh, eating on, which was cool. I mean, that's what we're typically looking for when we're looking for a hot feed tree is acorns. But this this particular spot, I thought they might be hitting acorns. But, man, once all the deer came out, they were uh, 100% munching on the honey locust pods. So, uh that's a that's a good a good thing to remember you guys out there especially um this time of year you're trying to find that feeding sign because that's pretty much what they're doing um i think we've we've had somebody on the podcast talk about honey locust before and it was a it was a, a big deal out there so i saw so many deer that day that i really knew that more than likely there's probably a buck somewhere living in here a good one somewhere living in here because there's just a lot of deer but he's probably not with the rest of the deer, obviously. Like these bigger bucks, especially on public land, um, they kind of recluse a little bit. 
especially this time of year. Um, they're going to be really reclusive. And so I used my knowledge of that area. So the, all the deer came out of one particular bedding area that day that you would not think looking at it on a map that it could hold that many deer. It held that many deer that were bedded down in there. And, um, this bedding area was just like tall grown up. Uh, we call it CRP. I don't know that it's necessarily CRP like in its, uh, actual definition, but that's what we've always called it. Uh, it's got a bunch of sycamore saplings in it, just real thick, nasty stuff. You've probably heard us talking about it. If you hear us talking about Kentucky very much, but, um, that was what they were all coming out of. And it was a small little corner of it that the deer were coming out of, but altogether that, that, that thicket was, I mean, it was big altogether, but they were just kind of bedding in this one little area. So what I did, um, from that, I backed out, uh, from the main kind of deery looking area and went closer to the water's edge where there's not nearly as much sign. It's only about a hundred yards from where I put my boat at. Um, there is some deer sign, but not nearly as much. And the reason why I decided to go there is because, um, it, it really feels like in a lot of these more Midwestern, um, I, I don't know that you could consider Kentucky Southern or Midwestern, but it hunts a lot more like a Midwestern state, just as far as the, the quality of the deer, the terrain, um, all that good stuff. And uh, what I find is they they use the wind-based wind bedding more times than not, it seems like. Like they're going to be bedded in such a way where the wind is in their favor and when you have water close by, especially on a, on a dry year like this where the water is scarce, uh, you have water close by, those deer are going to bed on the edges of those, these ridges overlooking the water. Um, they have the thermal advantage during the day. Thermals rise up. I mean, it's, it's pretty typical. If you've listened to a lot of hunting podcasts or uh, consume a lot of hunting content in general, especially public land, people are always talking about buck bedding, bedding on the top third of the ridge looking down with the wind over the back thermals coming up and they do that here uh anytime you find a bed you can tell like that is probably a wind-based bed and so i backed up close to the river and actually ended up finding a really fresh scrape as i was walking out the evening i saw so many deer and there was a big body deer that jumped jumped up as i was walking out so i gave it a day and decided the next morning i was going to go in there and try to hunt that hoping that whatever buck is using that, he's going out in the woodlot during the nighttime, eating acorns, doing all that stuff, making his rounds, basically. And then right before daylight, probably coming up and bedding, using that little funnel between the thicket and the water, using that to get back to where he's bedding, overlooking that waterway. Um, long story short, went back a couple mornings ago and right at first light had a big buck come in and um it, it, it was it was right at like i said it was shooting light i mean it was definitely shooting light you could see your pins i could see my pins real well but where he was at it was kind of in a darker area of of thicker woods and so it took me a while to decide do i even is that a deer that i'm going to shoot um i could tell it was a buck just by the way it was walking it was a bigger body deer i could tell it was a buck and then it finally got into a lane, I drew back on him just in case it was, a, it ended up being a deer I wanted to shoot. And I drew back, he got in the lane and I saw his, 
his antlers and i was like yeah i mean i'm i'm not gonna chance this that's big enough for me to tell right now in this moment for me to tell that it's a pretty good buck so i'm gonna shoot him so i shot him um hit him really far back uh no other way around it i hit him i hit him back in the guts and uh yeah it kind of stinks i mean it at, at the time I'm pretty confident in a gut shot, especially if you play your cards right. And, uh, you know, I mean, I hit him walking. I should have stopped him. So I know a lot of people are probably going to watch this video eventually and say, man, you should have stopped that deer. Um, and I should have. I should have tried it. Uh, I don't do that a lot because I've had them freak out and run off too many times when they get on alert and, uh, this deer was not on alert at all. He had no, no clue I was in the world. So, uh, I didn't want to stop him. I waited till he got into that lane and I shot. And as I shoot, you can see in the video, he's, he's like mid step and it, it takes it back. Um, but if you watch the video, it's not too far back. Like, it's not like really, really far back. I, I'm not talking, I'm closer to the shoulder than I am the back legs for sure, but kind of a center punch type shot shot makes a loud pop and I was excited. I mean, I was confident even with a gut shot. I know enough about, um, tracking dogs. We've had so many guys on the show talk about using a tracking dog. And there's a lot of statistics out by people like Shane Simpson, who, um, you know, he's, a he's tracking a lot of deer, um, during the season. And, I hate to put a number on it, but most trackers have a hundred percent or pretty daggone close to hundred percent success rate with gut shot deer that are not pushed. And so I, uh, I didn't push him. I said, we're going to wait. I'm going to call a dog. I know this shot's back. I'm going to call a dog and we're not going to go back in there. So we didn't, we didn't go back in. I shot the deer at six 30 in the morning and we didn't go back in until about five 30. And the, the recommended amount of time is eight to 12 hours for a gut shot deer. Um, so we were a lot closer to 12 hours, but we wanted to do it before dark. And um, we brought the dog in, and the dog uh, got a fellow by the name of Lance, and his dog is Hank. Um, everybody highly recommended this pair. And uh, they they find a lot of deer around uh, Kentucky and uh, and kind of surrounding states. They're, they're, they're a good duo, and uh, I felt confident that they were going to find it. They actually did not even bring their headlamps with us because they thought the track was going to be so easy uh, because that shot is usually a pretty easy track for the deer if you give it time. And uh, dogs went in, got right on the track, pretty easy. Um, we followed behind, probably within 100 yards we found a bed from that deer and uh, and then another bed about five yards past it. So there's there's two beds right there next to each other. This deer's sick. He's not feeling well. Um, he's probably going to be right down here. Dog keeps on the track. We find another bed with blood in it. Um, we're, we're headed downhill to a creek, and we think that deer's probably going to be dead in that wa in that in that bottom. And uh, man, it just just didn't work. You know, I mean, I don't know any other way to say it. We didn't find the deer. Um, we looked until well past dark. The dog had a couple of, you know, confident runs, but never, never really got on much. Uh, and so the tracker said, you know, I think this deer's dead. 
I think there was something else you can't ever tell with a dog. He may have just been thirsty and trying to find water, and it's really dry right now. Um, and he, he works off of a, of a moist nose, so he needed water. Uh, he could have been thrown off by that. So we came back yesterday morning and tracked, and the deer, the, the dog got really fired up in a new spot, in a new area that would have made perfect sense for that deer to come through. Um, we found some really, a really big, fresh set of buck tracks that, uh, were down in this, this creek bottom. And that's where the dog was really, I mean, he was, he was fired up about it and you could tell he had something on his mind and the tracker was like, man, I think this is it. I think he's on it right now. Um, we let him work it out. It just didn't work. Um, I had to leave. I had to leave yesterday afternoon. I was already staying I'd already stayed like a day, uh, almost a day and a half longer than I was originally supposed to stay. So I had to go. The tracker said he was going to go get his boat and um, come back because he, he felt like that it wasn't a lost cause. So tracker came back and um, called me last night. So this is all really fresh. Called me last night and uh, told me that they had jumped the deer down in the bottom. The deer actually crossed a river like a deep full river crossed it. And whenever they, whenever the, the dog got on that track right past it, uh, right on the other side of the river, the Lance said that the dog was on fire. That Hank was like fired up about it, crying, whimpering. And then they jumped the deer. And whenever they jumped the deer, he, he couldn't really, it, it, I'm not a tracker, so I can't I can't tell you one way or the other what they should have done. And I mean, I, I believe that they did what they should have done, and they backed off of it because the deer had enough life in it still over 24 hours later to get up and run off. And uh, they were kind of pushing in close to some other people and whatever. So, it, you know, they did everything that they could. I, I am not in one way or another upset about that. But, um, you know... It's not over yet. It's still, the story is still developing. That's why I said that at the beginning. Um, they're going to go back. I mean, he told me last night, you know, he's he's told several people at that particular WMA that work there, like, hey, watch for buzzards in this area. We feel confident that the deer is going to die right in there somewhere um, because he stayed there for a while. So we think he might, you know, he may come back, end up coming back into that area and and die sometime today or tomorrow. You know, it, it's it's hard to say what kind of shot it was. Um, everybody I showed said liver, looked like a liver shot. But the way this deer's acting is not a liver shot. And the tracker thinks it's probably intestines. And uh, there's like a little pouch of intestines apparently, right? Like a further forward on the deer than what you would actually think which is still a gut shot, but it's a different story. The deer can live, it might live five hours and it might live three days. You just don't ever know with that shot. It's, it's not quite the same as a a actual stomach shot or a liver shot. So, um, this is developing and it's, uh, it sucks, man. I mean, I, I felt like I did everything right other than not stopping the deer and settling and, the shot not being exactly where it should have been. But for the the scenario that happened, I mean, we played everything as well as we possibly could. We were extremely conservative. We didn't go in there and mess anything up. 
we didn't bump the deer until last night. I, I feel very confident about that. Um, the deer was not really bumped until last night. He he basically did a big big circle around where uh, where he was probably gonna eventually end up um, before I shot him. I mean, where we think he bedded on our side of the river would have been straight line less than 100 yards from where I shot him at and we we think that he he probably bedded down there at some point the dog got really fired up on a bed over there and he probably bedded there and eventually needed the water and got in the river and followed followed the river in a pretty deep ditch that held water the rest of the way and so we think that that's probably um, more than likely that's that's the case um but there's just no, there's no telling at this point. I mean, you get two and three day old tracks. That's a tough, that's a tough thing for a dog to work out. But knowing where the deer's at now, knowing, you know, that he's close, it could be a, it could be a really a good thing. And, um, so I'm not, I haven't lost hope yet. I, in my gut, I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't have a lot of faith, um, in this situation, uh, this is just me being as as transparent as I possibly can. I don't have a ton of faith, man. I'm I'm down about it. I'm pretty tore up. This particular area I have hunted for about six years, and if you followed Southern Round, you know that Kentucky for me, I, I've missed too many bucks in Kentucky in general. Most of them been have been on this this area, and I've really tried to break it down and and up my chances for opportunity in this place and I'll be honest with you I'm not going to stop there until it happens until it works out I might move on later after that because it's just been so much of a struggle I might find try to find something else but I, I can't give up on it um until I make it happen but here's the here's the the truth of the matter okay and and if you know me you know I'm I'm pretty transparent I share these stories because I know it's happening to everybody. I know it is. Um, if you say it's not happening to you, then you're probably not hunting much. Um, anybody I know that hunts a lot, they have these stories happen. Anybody I know who who kill a lot of bucks, they have these situation these situations that that happen. And so I try to be transparent because there there's no there's no reason that the story should go to waste. It shouldn't just die in my memory bank and not help anybody. Um, it's got to help somebody. And, uh, and so that's why, why I try to share these stories with you, knowing full well that it, it makes me extremely vulnerable and it makes me look like, oh crap, that guy doesn't know what the heck he's doing. Um, but man, I mean, there's a lot of things good that happen out of this thing. Like I feel like I, I put some pieces together. I hunted a deer and made good decisions. It was not a luck. It wasn't a luck deer. It was a make decisions, figure it out, and find the find where the bucks are at, and I did. And so that was cool. You know, it was an early season October hunt on a mature deer, and I found him, and I shot him. I got a shot off on him without him, him, him ever even know I was alive. I was in the world. And uh, so that was cool. You know, that's a good thing. But I was talking to my buddy Clay last night, and we were talking about the whole situation you know, when, when you get in these, in these, um, type of, type of hunts and type of situations that you will inevitably have if you hunt enough, 
it's uh it, it's cliche to say that bow hunting is the highest of highs and the lowest of lows but the lows these lows that i'm feeling right now they're low man i mean they're as low as it possibly gets for me with hunting um i, I haven't stopped thinking about it i haven't stopped thinking about man should i stop that deer i should have stopped that deer um if we could have just done something a little bit different if i could have you know, been set up in a little bit different tree, but I mean, there's just no telling. It was a 20 yard shot. I mean, I was set up perfect. Uh, but I was talking to Clay about it and kind of just wearing my heart on my sleeve and telling him, you know, uh, I, I think I'm probably going to take some time off and I don't want to get burnt out. I want to shoot a buck, but I think I'm going to take some time off, um, for a week or so. And he's like, man, this stuff happens. He was like, you need to make this drive you to keep going and keep doing it. It's going to happen. These things are going to happen. And he brought up this this scenario of lions. And I thought it was really cool. And it's probably going to be the title of this podcast, To Hunt Like a Lion. Um, these jokers, there ain't no telling how many gazelles and zebras and wildebeest and all that stuff that they don't catch. I mean, they catch they catch some. How many do they not catch? But you know what these these animals do is they continue hunting. They're hunters. I could sit here and I could cry about it and I could, you know, whine about the situation. And I know what I did wrong. I learned a lot of things just in this short amount of time uh, that I can put to, put to play and maybe do better next time. Um, but what what these predators do, what what an apex predator actually does, when they miss or when they don't catch the animal that they're trying to hunt down, they find another one and they hunt more and they keep doing it. These animals are doing this for their survival. Their, their survival depends on them being successful. And while that's not necessarily the case for me, it's a really good motivator that if if you want to be a killer, if you want to be a the guy that is consistent, you cannot let these little things keep you from it. You can't let it slow you down. You can't let it, it's going to discourage you, but you can't let it discourage you to the point of quitting. And man, the whole drive home yesterday, I'm like, I just want to quit bow hunting. I mean, that, that stinks. And I'll be real. The, uh, the the thoughts crossed my mind. You know, I, I, I'm a very big advocate for a fixed blade broadhead um in this particular case a mechanical probably would have been better um it 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 would have punched a hole i mean there's no telling the very i mean there's a lot of variables it could have failed it could have not opened whatever but had a mechanical gone into that spot where that deer was hit uh it's ripping a lot of stuff up uh it's it's ripping a bunch up and a mechanical probably would have been better for that. And so I've thought about it, you know, is, is this the, is this really the right way? Is a, is a, is a, a heavier fixed blade broadhead, is it the right way? You know, if, if you're shooting a lot of deer far back, probably not. I mean, I have, most of the time my miss is in the shoulder of a deer. And so I've shot, a, I've shoulder shot quite a few deer, um, in in my time and with with a mechanical it just didn't work out with my fixed blades it works out perfectly fine most of the time it's a good shot uh i haven't got shot a deer um 
like straight guts like that in in a while and uh it it doesn't feel good but at the same time I'm learning and I every tracker I talked to said I did the right thing uh by not going in there I think that's an important thing to remember if you gut shoot a deer or shoot a deer that you think might even be far back give it time he's not going to be you know if he's dead in two hours he's going to be dead in 12 hours so just give it time and wait um, because there's a chance he's not dead and uh yeah I, I don't have a whole lot more to say about the situation but i want this for me to be a drive i don't want it to be a demotivator i want it to be a motivator i don't want it to to set me up for failure even more because i mean i feel like a pretty daggum big failure right now but uh but i know that's not that's not um i know that i'm not a failure if that makes sense like i feel like one if i let it get me down and i let it you know cause me to make bad decisions and cause me to not go anymore and let it not motivate me um man i'm just gonna sit here in my own depression and I'm going to just be sad about it, you know, and, and while I am, I am sad about the deer, you know, that the deer's still alive and I didn't make a lethal or a, I made a lethal shot. I didn't make a, a, a quick painless kill out of the thing. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm tore up as heck about that, but, um, I don't know what else I could have done. I mean, we make bad shots that happens, uh, played my cards right. At this point, I'm kind of I'm kind of rambling about it. I've talked about the whole thing so much, but it's not over, and I want to make this a two-part podcast because it's not finished developing. And when it does finish, you know, when either the dog tracker tells me, "Hey, I can't find him," or he tells me, "Hey, we got him," one way or the other, uh, that will conclude this story. And also, we have some really good good stuff to talk about with Matt. So I think you guys are going to enjoy that. Um, he, he really, he really has gotten on deer pretty quickly in Kentucky and it's, uh, it's been really cool to see. So, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Hope it helps you out. Um, if you don't mind when you hear this, send a prayer up my way and, um, man, I, I really would love to find this deer. I found his track and it's a, the biggest track I've ever seen in my life. I don't think he's the biggest buck I've ever killed. Uh, but he might be the biggest, biggest body deer that I've ever, I've ever shot. And, uh, uh, definitely the biggest hoof deer that I've ever killed. So I, w- I would love to, I would love to recover him. If you could send up a prayer mount for me, I, I would greatly appreciate that. Um, again, just trying to be transparent. Uh, I know everybody's going to have an opinion. Everybody's going to have something they want to say and sound like the biggest bad A in the world. But honestly, I don't care, you know, you, 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 if that's you and, uh, you have something negative that you want to say to me, go for it, man. Uh, but I, I really, it's going to roll off my back because I know I did as much good as I possibly could in this situation. So anyways, thanks guys for listening. Uh, sorry, this is just a short little podcast, but maybe it's a, a good one for you to listen to on your way to work, um, and knock it out real quick. So Hope you guys are successful this week, more successful this week than I have been, and uh, have fun in the woods.
Hey guys, as most of you know, censorship for hunters and anglers is completely out of control. So we've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat the mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're actually encouraged on Go Wild. They give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting other friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, like gift cards, free stuff like knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. And if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit GoWild.com to get started. Six Day Grind Coffee Co. is made for people like you, the ones out there grinding to reach your goals every single day. Whether it's the 3 a.m. wake-up calls to get into the woods or just getting through your workday, a good cup of high-quality coffee to start your day is imperative. When you buy from Six Day Grind, you not only get a great bag of premium roasted coffee, you also have the opportunity to support conservation through their Coffee for Your Cause program, where 10% of your purchase goes to the conservation organization of your choice. Check out sixdaygrindcoffeeco.com today. That's the word six, followed by daygrindcoffeeco.com. Do you want to know more about saddle hunting? Well, you can go to tetherednation.com for all your saddle hunting needs. Tethered is for saddle hunters, by saddle hunters, and they're redefining ultralight hunting. If you know me, you know that I love to have a system for all of my hunting equipment, where everything works together, and we preach about it a lot on this podcast. When you buy from Tethered, you can rest easy knowing that all your gear is designed to work together as a system. Saddles, platforms, ropes, climbing sticks, and a ton of other great gear just for saddle hunting can be found by visiting tetherednation.com today. That's tetherednation.com. Check them out. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. And as always, a big shout out to all of our partners. That's Go Wild, Tethered, Spartan Forge, and Six Day Grind Coffee Company. You can keep up with Southern Ground Hunting by following us on Facebook or Instagram or subscribing to the YouTube channel. And you can be sure to check us out at southerngroundhunting.com to pick up some of our merch, read some blog articles, and all that good stuff. I truly hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and we'll see you here again next week. Remember that God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We will talk to you next week.